About two years ago, I decided to start exercising, having tipped the scales at over 250 pounds. I first tried walking on the treadmill and found that utterly boring. So I would watch shows on Netflix or YouTube or play Candy Crush on my phone to pass the time. If you look at the treadmill at our house today, there is no plastic casing on the back of the treadmill that covers the rollers. Not because the machine is old, but because I broke the plastic casing being so engrossed in a show or in a game that on a couple of occasions I forgot to move my feet and walk and I stumbled backwards and broke the plastic casing. Those treadmill sessions were certainly memorable. I don't remember how many minutes I walked on any particular day back then, but I can still remember the shows watched. When I switched over to cycling and biked with friends, I don't remember much about every ride, how far we went, and how long we biked. But what I remember most are the friends I biked with, the many yummy food places we ate at, and the many misadventures on those trips, like blowing my front tires in front of Camp Crame on Edsa, trying to avoid another cyclist going in the wrong direction. Now getting back into the sport of badminton, I don't remember my win-loss records in each set played, but I remember who I played with and the conversations in between sets. You know, it's interesting what we remember in our daily activities. And it's interesting what it is in our life's journey that makes things stick in our minds and what we remember. Oftentimes, there are life-changing events and learnings that happen which transforms our lives and certainly makes our life's journey a walk to remember. Life is often compared to a journey and those who have ever traveled on a journey know that there are different ways to walk that journey. Some walk the journey of life with great exuberance, with a spring in their step. They are so excited to wake up every day and face life head on. While others are dragging themselves through the journey of life, they are dragging their feet. They have no zest or excitement in life and for life. It's like when I have to go shopping with my wife. I have no excitement at all. My only joy is finding the next bench to sit on when there is one. But if she says, let's go out to eat, and you pick the restaurant, now that gets me excited, and I will do research and even be willing to wait an hour in line to get a table. My friends, when it comes to spiritual things or your walk with Jesus, do you simply go through the motions? Do you have to drag yourself to church? Do spiritual milestones and learnings mark or change your life in any way? Does the knowledge that you serve a living, risen Savior bring joy to your life? Or are you more excited about other things like the NBA playoffs, summer travel plans, eating at the latest restaurants, or buying the newest gadgets or the latest fashion? If there isn't much excitement or notable things in your journey through the Christian life, then I want to introduce to you four things that should characterize your Christian walk that will hopefully bring passion, excitement, and great memories. Because I desire that your Christian walk with Jesus is indeed a walk to remember. These four characteristics can be found in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35, when Jesus went on a walk with two of his disciples the afternoon of his resurrection. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 24 as we study verses 13 to 35. And as you're turning to this passage, let me set the context for you. It is Easter or Resurrection Sunday. 
sometime in the afternoon, two followers of Jesus left Jerusalem and were walking to a nearby town called Emmaus. And we pick up the story in verses 13 and 14. I read now verses 13 and 14. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. The Bible tells us these two individuals were walking the short distance from Jerusalem to the village of Emmaus, and they were discussing the things which had recently happened in Jerusalem. Now, what were these things that had happened? Well, the preceding verses tell us that they were discussing what had happened to Jesus just a few days ago up to the present. They would have been recounting and processing together how Jesus had been lauded as the Messiah riding to Jerusalem that Palm Sunday, and how he was betrayed and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then they would have discussed how the crowd or mob incited by the Pharisees and those against Jesus demanded for the release of the criminal Barabbas instead of Jesus, which meant Jesus would die. They probably discussed how Jesus endured six trials, three political and three religious, and then was crucified on the cross on Friday. They would have talked about how his closest of friends, the twelve disciples, had either betrayed him, denied him, or had run into hiding. And for sure, they would have talked how their hopes had been dashed, for they had such high hopes that the chosen one, Jesus, was to have been their Messiah, the Savior, but now he was dead. Verses 15 to 18, so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleophas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? The Bible tells us the resurrected Jesus suddenly appeared on the path and came alongside of these two disciples and asked what they were talking about. Of course, Jesus knew what they were talking about, but wanted them to share with him what was on their heart. Notice a small detail that the gospel writer Luke gives us in verse 17 about the attitude of the disciples. They were sad, and Christ knew that they were sad. The resurrected Lord knew the inner thoughts and feelings of these two disciples and the concerns that were weighing them down. That's probably why Jesus appeared and came alongside them to encourage them. Although they did not know He was the resurrected Lord, the care of Jesus is evident in that He would take an interest in their emotions. Not only were they sad, they seemed genuinely hurt and even hopeless, as Cleophas seemingly responded to the Lord's question quite rudely. Are you the only one who doesn't know what has happened in Jerusalem? Their zeal and fire as followers of Christ somehow was gone. Let's see why in verses 19 to 24. And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. 
Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. The Bible tells us the two disciples told the resurrected Jesus the talk of the town. Surprisingly, they seemed to know a lot about what had happened to Jesus. They knew of the powerful words and deeds of Jesus' earthly ministry. They knew of His death through crucifixion. They even knew Jesus' assurance that He would rise from the dead in three days and that today, Sunday, was the third day. They even recounted multiple eyewitness testimony that Jesus' body was not in the tomb, evidencing that He had resurrected. They knew that women had gone earlier in the day to the garden tomb and had even met an angel who told them Jesus is alive. They knew disciples Peter and John also had gone to the tomb and didn't see the body. But to our amazement, these two disciples just didn't get it. They couldn't pull all of the evidence together to know that the Savior had indeed conquered the grave and was alive. In fact, verse 21 tells us their hopes were seemingly dashed because for them, Jesus was the promised Savior, but now they weren't so sure, not knowing if He had actually risen from the dead, even with all the eyewitness account. These disciples knew the facts of the story, even about the fact that Jesus seemingly had resurrected just as He had promised, but yet the facts of the death and resurrection were only that, facts. The facts in their minds didn't somehow make it to their hearts. So whatever the facts on the ground, it was not real for them, and therefore it elicited no life change. They were sad and frustrated. There was no excitement in their walk. That's why it's imperative to understand that a walk to remember is, number one, a walk that takes scriptural truths to heart. A walk that takes scriptural truths to heart. My friends, our life's journey as Christ followers should entail that we really believe the truths of the Scripture. Even if you've never seen or touched Jesus, do you really believe that He died for your sins and rose again? Colin Smith once remarked, maybe you've heard something like this, the longest journey is the 18 inches from your head to your heart. Think about what this is saying. What you think and what you feel are totally different. They're disconnected, a long way apart. This leads people to say things like, the gospel is in my head, but it isn't in my heart. If you feel that the gospel hasn't really changed you, you'll be tempted to keep looking for some kind of emotional experience that will. If someone said this to you, how would you help them? Listen, the problem isn't that the truth needs to make a long journey from the head to the heart. The problem is that the truth in the mind isn't big enough or real enough to capture the heart. So it makes very little difference to how a person actually lives. You might begin by asking a person who feels this way, tell me about the Christianity that is in your head. Dr. David Jeremiah writes, sometimes it's hard to get the message from our heads to our hearts. It's possible to have head knowledge of God and His Word without its filtering down into heart knowledge. 
we are reminded in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, to keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. We read about joy in the Bible, but we meander throughout the day with low spirits. We hear a sermon about patience, but before the day is out, we lose our temper. We become engrossed with the study of biblical prophecy about the end times, but somehow we don't share the gospel with those in our neighborhood should He come today. We read a book on Christian parenting, but we can't find time to read the Scriptures to our children or pray with them before bedtime. We teach a Sunday school lesson about stewardship and tithing and then overspend on our credit card for something that we've been wanting. My friends, is your Christian faith in living for a risen Savior big enough or real enough to capture your heart so that you live it out in order to have a Christian walk that is indeed a walk to remember? Have you gotten scriptural truths from your head to your heart? Now look with me at verses 25 to 27. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The Bible tells us that Jesus rebuked the two disciples, basically saying that they knew a lot, but they did not believe or internalize it. Jesus told them that the death and resurrection of the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, was clearly taught in the Old Testament by the prophets. And so verse 27 tells us that Jesus began to expound or exposit from Genesis to the prophets all that it had to say about the Messiah, basically about Himself. Can you imagine being one of the disciples to hear from Jesus explaining Scripture? It must have been wonderful riveting, clear, and engaging, they wouldn't have gotten bored. You know, I've often wondered why Jesus didn't just reveal Himself as the resurrected Savior. Why didn't He say, it's me? I've conquered the grave. I'm alive. Touch me. Make sure it's real. Now be happy. But instead, Jesus went back to the Bible to show through Scripture how the Messiah had to die and be resurrected for the salvation of mankind. I believe Jesus did this because He understood the authoritative weight of God's Word, and that for us today, looking at this passage, it would show that it is the Bible, not purely through experience alone, that the truth of His death and resurrection would be conveyed and communicated. You see, this is the second characteristic of a walk to remember. Number two, a walk that studies the Scriptures for yourself. A walk that studies the Scriptures for yourself. The Lord knew that the excitement of our Christian walk cannot be based solely on experience, because if it were so, then we would only look for bigger and better emotional hits and supernatural experiences to get us excited. And this is impossible to sustain. My friends, the joy of our Christian walk must come from the studying of God's Word ourselves, which help us mature in the faith. You see, it is one thing to simply listen to someone else share God's Word. It's another thing to really study it for yourself. It's like with everything else we experience in life. It's different unless you do it yourself. For example, 
like flying an airplane. It's one thing to know conceptually how aerodynamic lift works versus actually flying an airplane yourself or at least riding one. It's one thing to know about how combustible engines work versus actually driving a car. It's one thing to watch cooking or baking shows on the Food Channel versus rolling up your sleeves to actually cook or bake. That's why there are those who love the Scriptures with a passion, and there are those who don't give it much attention in time. It all boils down to discipline and actually studying the Scriptures for yourself where you find excitement and motivation for your daily walk. There is no better an Easter commitment today than a commitment to study daily the Scriptures for yourself. Notice, I didn't say read the Bible, but use the word study. Many read mindlessly, but don't have any desire to study God's Word. A British pastor shared this story. Not far from our home was a lamppost under which 14-year-old lad Bob Flint received Christ. Bob's conversion dramatically changed his entire life. Because he had already left school at the age of 14 and had been working as a laborer on a construction site, at that time in his life, young Bob certainly was no scholar. Yet soon after Bob became a Christian, I was able to persuade him to read his Bible before he went to work each day. Even though he had absolutely no church background, Bob soon learned how to nourish his spiritual life by personally interacting with the Word of God daily. It was little wonder then that at the age of 17, Bob, having enrolled in a Bible correspondence course, received top grades in his study of the book of Daniel. How thrilled I was later to hear that when he joined the military at age 18, he continued in his zeal for the Lord. In fact, during his first eight weeks at boot camp, he personally prayed with each one of the other 17 soldiers in his barracks as they in turn reached out to Christ. And then, when he concluded his military service, Bob felt called to begin missionary training. As he was flying his last mission in Germany, however, his military plane crashed and Bob was called home to be with his Lord. Near the site of the plane crash, gospel tracts from Bob's backpack were scattered over the German countryside. Indeed, the Word of God had advanced from simple Bob's hands to his head, and then from his head to his heart, and finally from his heart to the hearts of others. And when Bob died, he was merely called out of a living, earth-confined relationship with his Lord into a more wonderful fellowship in the presence of God. My friends, we can try to capture the hopefulness and power of the resurrection every Easter through music and gathering together. But the true power of the Easter message daily affects your life when you regularly study the Scriptures for yourself. I think that at times we don't fully grasp the implications of believing that the Bible is God's Word. That's why we don't place that much importance on studying it for ourselves. This is how Hiram Kemp puts it. Christians profess a belief that the Bible is the Word of God, which 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17 teach. This means that when the Bible is faithfully taught and preached, God is communicating with us through His Word. Does the way we listen to God's Word through sermons reflect this reality? If someone recorded us during sermons or could listen in on our thoughts, 
would they get the impression that we believe God is speaking to us through His Word? When we listen to sermons, we should remember that ultimately, how we treat the message of God's Word is how we treat Him. Remember, as you listen to God's Word or listen to messages on God's Word, that God is speaking to you. There are more things we could mention that might help us, like sitting closer to the front, arriving earlier at services, getting a good night's rest beforehand, praying about having a clear and focused mind, taking notes, and studying your Bible on your own throughout the week. Hopefully, a few of these thoughts will help us to listen better to sermons and walk away with more from the sermon. Above all, let's keep in mind that the goal is not just to hear, but to do. And that's what James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25 tells us. James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. These days, there are so many distractions that take our focus away from God's Word. I remember the big difference, even for our family, between worshiping online versus worshiping on site. Even my children admit that worshiping in person keeps them more focused and less distracted. Why? Because worshiping online, there are multiple restroom breaks. Sometimes they are eating. They often fall asleep in their beds. They slowly sink lower and lower in their chairs. Or they just blankly stare at the screen or television screen, their minds not actively engaged. The temptation of replying to messages that pop up is a huge distraction, and the list goes on. Here the two disciples had no other distraction other than to listen to Jesus expound on the Scriptures while they walked to the town of Emmaus. And this walk without distraction allowed for active listening and learning. So my friends, try it out. Study the Scriptures yourself regularly, actively listening and learning without distractions. And I bet you can't wait to excitedly tell others the spiritual insights you've learned. That, my friends, is how and when our walk with Jesus gets exciting. I read now verses 28 and 29. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. The Bible tells us when they arrived at Emmaus, and it seemed that Jesus was going further, they showed how much they loved listening to Jesus and appreciated his company, that they requested, even begged Jesus to abide with them. Abide is the idea of living, remaining, and staying with them. And when the invitation to Christ to stay with them came, notice that Jesus did not refuse when invited to come and stay. You know, my friends, the Lord never refuses when we ask Him to stay with us. Throughout the Scriptures, He reminds us constantly that He will never leave us nor forsake us, that He will always stand with us, that He is always by our side. But the invitation for Him to be with us has to come from us. You know, it's much more fun and exciting and even memorable to have someone with us on our life's journey, especially someone as great as Jesus. 
even in sports, individual sports at that. That's what makes it more exciting, more fun. Whether you're walking, running, cycling, or even playing basketball, volleyball, or badminton, it's more fun and memorable to do it with someone else. And this is the third characteristic of a walk to remember. Number three, a walk that invites Christ along to stay with us. A walk that invites Christ along to stay with us. Sadly, many are walking the journey of the Christian life without inviting Christ along, which is why their Christian life is so miserable, so lonely, so without excitement. These are people who claim they are Christians, but don't find the need to go to church regularly or to be a part of a Christian community. They don't read the Bible or pray to the Lord regularly. They choose not to live life as a Christ follower. They are those who haven't invited Christ along for the journey. I think we would all admit that having Jesus Christ in our life's walk is essential. But just like when we travel abroad, when we forget to bring that which is essential, it will ruin our travel plans and our travel experience. Our travel won't be so enjoyable. For example, bringing chargers and travel adapters are essential for any travel. I remember one time going on a multi-week speaking trip abroad, and I forgot my laptop charger, and I needed my laptop for my presentations. I had to painfully spend more than $100 U.S. dollars to have my laptop charger shipped to my destination. I learned my lesson. Now I have two laptop chargers, one always in my office and the other always in my travel bag. Another essential item is your passport. Sometimes we forget to bring it or forget to check when it's expiring. I remember a few years ago, someone who was going to the Holy Lands, and they'd prepared for months going on this trip, even exercising regularly to get into shape for this spiritual pilgrimage, only to get to the airport and forget to bring her passport and not knowing where she had put it. Her family was unable to find it, so she was unfortunately unable to go. So it is in our Christian walk through life. Many of us have forgotten the most essential part of life's journey, and that's inviting Christ to come along with us. With Him on the journey, we are guaranteed to have peace, protection, pleasure, and purpose. Why in the world would we not invite Christ in our life's walk? But my friends, note that the third spiritual principle adds the phrase, to stay with us, a walk that invites Christ along to stay with us. Because we should not just invite Christ along, we should desire that He abides with us, that He stays with us, that He is an active part of our life. There are many who only invite Christ to journey with them when times are tough and lots of troubles are present. But when they don't find the need for Christ, they push Him away or just ignore Him. Can you imagine inviting someone to your birthday party or to a dinner party and then ignoring or not talking to him or her all evening? We would say that's so rude and inappropriate. And yet, that's what we do with the Lord. We invite Him to be a part of our Christian walk, but often we just ignore Him. We should make sure when there's an invitation to journey with us, He is made an integral part of our lives. Tim Chalice in commenting about why this hymn is so beloved, writes, each verse ends in the plea, abide with me, making the hymn a sustained call for God's personal presence in every stage and condition of life. 
The hymn resonates deeply with the hearts of those who feel the need of God. Tim Chalice, in commenting why this hymn is so beloved, writes, Each verse ends in the plea, Abide with me, making the hymn a sustained call for God's personal presence in every stage and condition of life. The hymn resonates deeply with the hearts of those who feel the need of God. When my wife Eileen and I suggested this song for our wedding, we were told, it's a funeral song. But we saw it as a deep challenge to seek God in all of life's circumstances till death do us part. So we just went ahead and added it to the wedding program. Help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Come, friend of sinners, and thus abide with me. Through clouds and sunshine, Lord, abide with me. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me. My friends, this should be our plea. Lord, we invite you to come and stay with us on this journey called life because it is so hard. And this is the wonderful thing. The risen Savior makes this possible. He isn't dead. So our Lord is able to be with us, to abide with us. We don't just have to sing about it as if it were a wish. We can sing it out loud because our Savior lives. There are a lot of dead people who we wish can be with us during our time of greatest needs, but they can't be because they are dead. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, then the disciples could not even make such an invitation. All they could do was wish Jesus was with us. But this was not the case with Jesus, since He conquered the grave, and with the risen Savior in the midst, they could actually invite Him to abide with them. And Jesus always abides with His disciples, His children, when they invite Him. Now look at me at verses 30 to 35. Now it came to pass, as He sat at the table with them, that He took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew Him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the Scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. The Bible tells us, when they realized it was Christ, perhaps through the special way He broke the bread, we don't know the exact details, they acknowledged that there was something special about this stranger that appeared on their walk to Emmaus. It was the risen Lord Himself. Notice verse 32, where it tells us that their hearts were burning within them. Remember, they were sad and hopeless when the Lord met them. But while He was teaching them from the Scriptures, their sadness turned into a fire in the soul, meaning they were comforted, encouraged, challenged, and convicted. This is certainly what Jesus does for us when we read His Word. What was their response? Verse 33 tells us that even though it was already evening and after dinner, and the road back to Jerusalem would be unsafe, they went that very hour back to Jerusalem. Their knowledge of the risen Savior could not be contained now, for these two disciples, the resurrection wasn't simply a fact, an intellectual understanding. That information made the 18-inch journey from their heads to their hearts, and they could not contain themselves. 
they just had to tell the other disciples hiding somewhere in Jerusalem the fact that they met the resurrected Savior. In fact, if you read the Gospels, all those who encountered the risen Lord that Sunday could not wait to excitedly tell everyone about their encounter. That's the fourth characteristic of a walk to remember. Number four, a walk that excitedly proclaims the risen Savior. A walk that excitedly proclaims the risen Savior. My friends, are you excitedly proclaiming the living Savior that you and I follow? We do not follow someone dead. We follow someone very much alive. Kevin Aloka, YouTube head of culture and trends at Google, has great insights as to what makes videos viral. As per Aloka, although a very tiny percentage of videos end up becoming viral or reach more than a million views, those which do have three things in common. Tastemakers, communities of participation, and or unexpectedness. Aloka explains these three things. Tastemakers are influential people who introduce average people to interesting things and help bring these things to the limelight. When a tastemaker or a group of tastemakers start sharing things on the internet, the process is accelerated and communities start forming around this phenomenon. That's when communities of participation come into the picture. Communities are responsible for the rapid propagation of content and even addition to it. In a world that is inundated with more content than anyone can hope to ever consume, virality is possible by only those creations which are unique and unexpected. Things which stand out get the attention which is necessary for virality. By this definition, then the message of the risen Savior should be a viral message today that emotionally impacts the world. We're all called to be so-called tastemakers, called to be influencers as salt and light to this world whose community impact is far and wide. And we carry with us the most unexpected of news, that someone rose from the dead. I bet if there was a video of the resurrection of Jesus, it would instantly be the most viewed video ever. But since there is no video, the Lord has us to excitedly proclaim the news of the risen Savior. That, my friends, will give you something to live for, a purpose in life, an excitement by which to enjoy life. Are you excited that you have the opportunity and privilege to share with close and new friends about this Jesus that is alive? My friends, don't walk this life dragging your feet. Live this life and have a Christian walk that is a walk to remember, a walk that not only changes your life, but a walk that comes because of a changed life, realizing that we serve a risen Savior. Cultivate in your life a walk to remember, which is defined by a walk that takes scriptural truths to heart, a walk that studies the scriptures for yourself, a walk that invites Christ along to stay with us, a walk that excitedly proclaims the risen Savior. May this Easter be a very special one, an Easter that marked the day that you began a Christian walk worth remembering with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, abiding with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us that a walk with you 
is something very special. I pray that each person who listens to this message will cultivate a walk with you that is deep and intimate, a walk to remember. But oftentimes, Lord, forgive us when we neglect you, when we ignore you, when we take Scripture, but we do not apply it in our hearts. We simply stack it and file it into our brains. I pray that the scriptural truths will work its way from our head to heart, from our heart to our hands, so that we can have a walk that is unique and different because we serve a risen Savior. And may that message come to a world that so needs to hear it that they will see the need for a Savior to the way we live out our Christian walk. May your name always be praised and glorified through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.